podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello. So we're back. Yes, it's a bit like being rudely awoken mid-lovely dream and deep REM sleep by your alarm clock. FPL is about to return, hit like a sledgehammer after near enough a month of relaxing, watching the World Cup as the fixtures will begin to come at us thick and fast. Are we ready for that? Hmm. Well, I guess it's at least Christmas first, and much like mulled wine, it may take some gentle simmering before it becomes a little bit more palatable for us. And with that in mind, what better way to return to thinking about FPL than with our standard festive edition of WTA to warm you up for the inevitable emotional damage that the return of the Premier League will bring to us all. So yes, our festive edition and decorating this is of course me, the Christmas tree base Tom, Lucy the glistening baubles and tinsel and the star on top of the tree for what must be the sixth year in a row now. Uh, is our friend Mark, aka FPL General. Welcome back, good sir. Did you have an enjoyable break? Did you catch much of the World Cup? Yeah, good to be back again. I was trying to figure out earlier how many of these Christmas editions I've done. Now it's definitely five, if not six. So it's become one of my Christmas traditions. Now I know I know Santa's just around the corner when I'm on who got the assist. So always nice to get the invite back and always an enjoyable pod before the Boxing Day fixtures. Watched a lot more of the World Cup than I planned to. Didn't bother with any of the fantasy stuff, but you know, got quite into it first first week. Then it kind of tailed off for a week. And then once the knockout started, got into it again it was just quite hard to ignore because a lot of the games were very good and it seemed to get better and better as as the tournament went on and that final was unbelievable i don't think any of us who watched that will be talking about that for a long long time and i said at the start i would like to see mr messi win it so i got my wish as a lot of people did so yeah very very enjoyable um i'd like to say i'm really looking forward to getting back to fpl um but i'm hoping uh hoping this podcast will help me to say that by the end of the episode no pressure then <laughs> we are who got the assist you can find tom on the main account at wgta underscore fpl you can find me lucy at lucy Heinick with two t's and of course you can find our guest at fpl general on the pod today looking at the second half of the season of course first up we provide some thoughts on how it could pan out can we learn anything from a past parallel and we'll move on to an initial rundown of where we stand with our squads. So there's a full week to go and a lot can change. But hopefully this will give you a good starting point for your preparations if you haven't started already. Well, yes, yeah, so it does feel like an, an awful long time, doesn't it? That's for sure. Um, there's, a, there's a lots of World Cup was going on. Uh, much like you, Mark, I was watching the World Cup and I got more into it too as, than I thought I would. Oh, that final yesterday. Brilliant. What a great game of football that was. But yes, as Lucy just mentioned, I think we should start off a bit slow with that initial kind of wider angle view i guess of what it all looks like to us uh, in terms of getting back into fpl before properly diving into into the specifics when it comes to team build later on now i've got to confess i didn't really miss fpl at all a bit like you mark i didn't get involved with the fantasy side of the game when it came to the world cup it's one that's worth meditating on ever so slightly whether we're kind of ready to go or whether we will take some time to get into it now i've said where i am Mark, you've kind of already voiced over a little bit, but it's kind of taking a bit of time for you to get there. Lucy, you were the same, didn't do the Fantasy uh, World Cup, did you? I mean, ready to go for FPL or is it still, you're going to take a bit of time to warm up? Uh, yeah, much the same as you guys. I didn't do the Fantasy stuff. 
to be honest, it sounded like it was pretty broken anyway, so I was a bit relieved to dodge the madness of that one. Um, I'm still digesting the World Cup, the epic final, the bewildering levels of sports washing, the Morocco performance for which Hindu Monkey clearly rigged the office sweepstake. <laughs> I, I'm not really ready either. It seems weird to be going back to the Premier League so quickly after all of that, but then I, I think about my Christmas routine and I think a lot of that relies on Premier League being up and running so i think by the time christmas comes i'll be ready for it or at least that's what i'm telling myself straight from argentina versus france into everton versus wolves it's just it's it's, it's literally the same plane isn't it there's no difference at all between those two fixtures as uh, where fpl manager concerned and seriously the first thing to mention really is this is this fixture pile up which is going to hit a lot of people hard after a month off we're going to go from zero to 60 in mere seconds um, and those upcoming doubles too it's pretty much wall-to-wall football until the 5th of january there's 30 games in 11 days, basically. I mean, that's not too atypical of this time of the season, of course, but it is going to feel atypical given the fact we've just been in a bit of a lull, a dormant lull for a while. And there's upcoming doubles, of course, for Chelsea, Fulham. That's Chelsea uh, who have got Man City and Fulham. Fulham who have got Leicester and Chelsea. And Arsenal, Man City, a little bit further away in 23. Arsenal have got Brentford and Man City and City have got Aston Villa and Arsenal. And there are suggestions from people who are cleverer than me, a.k.a. James at Planet FPL, um, who may have revised this, but I'm not sure. I haven't listened to today's pod yet. Um, there are suggestions that this may be City's only double game week this campaign. So our triple captaincy may be you soon as well. So it really is something that will be kind of straight into the deep end on uh, when it comes to this. I mean... <sighs> Normally, Mark, um, after a little bit of a break, so after international break, we don't really see this level of intensity, do we? I mean, how do you see it all panning out? Like, do you think people are going to stay engaged, especially with Christmas going on and things like that? Yeah, I think it's going to be very much a bit of a shock to the system. Uh, like we said, we're not feeling overly enthusiastic just yet, but I know when, when it gets to Christmas evening, Christmas Day evening, and especially Boxing Day morning, I think Boxing Day for me has always been the highlight of the football calendar. So it's nice, you know, from half 12 till probably 10 o'clock at night, you can just sit, eat loads of rubbish and, and watch game after game. And I think the enthusiasm will come back for most FPL managers that day. And then very quickly, you know, a couple more games to come back to back. So it's like you say, not the 60 in a very short space of time. And I think we're going to just be forced back into it uh, very, very quickly, which is, which is probably good for FPL towers in terms of engagement. I, I think, Boxing Day is a day where most people who haven't been on the website for six weeks will have a quick look because most people sit, sit down to watch the games anyway. And, and given that there's there's no two-week break after the Boxing Day fixtures or anything like that. So it's good to get people engaged. I see they set up a second chance league, second half chance league too, which I think was a good idea to get people back in. And people like myself who had a shocking first half of the season, we can you know set some targets in that league ourselves as well. So yeah, no, I think... I don't think it'll be too bad in terms of getting people back on board. And I just think it's it's the fact that it's Boxing Day that will, will really help. If they were coming back, you know, mid-February or something, it would be absolutely, uh, it'd be a nightmare <laughs> for them, I think. I just had a furtive look at what the first game of the game week was when you mentioned that everybody's going to be logging in to the FPL website on Boxing Day <laughs> just to make sure it wasn't Man City. Uh, but hopefully Brentford Spurs isn't going to herald lots of people logging <laughs> on and crashing the server. Um, but yes, I've... I, I, think you're both right i've got so many memories of eating turkey sandwiches uh, drinking the leftover uh, baileys and things like that in a stupor on boxing day when well, i probably shouldn't be drinking that, that baileys and shouldn't be eating leftover that turkey. baileys what is that leftover? i know 
What? Oh, I know. We do things differently down south, Lucy. Um, Okay, sorry. yeah, uh, but we move on. We move on to the G and Ts and and the wine after a while. We can't, we can't keep keep doing that to your stomach, you know. I'm also lactose intolerant as well, so I shouldn't keep doing it. Oh no, okay, yeah. Yeah, it's, Always going to the base. it's, 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 it's all right. There's a pill that there's a great pill you can get these days. Anyway, anyway, um, so I suppose thinking about FPL a little bit, uh, as, as I said, that kind of macro view. One of the biggest questions that have really come to mind for me when I've started looking at my team again, the main question for me was how much do we value this sort of first half of the season in our thinking when it comes to how we are going to set up our team overall? Is it, like we said, right back at the start of this season, tabula rasa? That's a complete clean slate. We just go in as if nothing's happened. Form is dead. Or do we kind of take bits from what we've learned in the first part of the season? Or is there just, you know, that idea of a reset? Because like like with Project Restart, which we'll come on to in a second, teams have been able to, to a greater or lesser extent, if you're Man City, lesser to, you know, if you're Liverpool or something like that, not too many players actually at the World Cup or keepers at the World Cup, a greater extent, go away, rebuild your team, rebuild your plans a little bit. How much of an effect will this break have on our thinking in terms of how we set things up? Let's stick away from the players for now. But I mean, Mark, what do you think about that? I mean, how much do you value the first half of the season from the outset and how you think about, you know, what might happen in the second half? Yeah, this is probably one of the aspects I'm going to spend the most time thinking about over the next week, you know, between recording and Game Week 17 deadline. I'm 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 struggling with it. I'm I'm quite torn on how much weight to put on the first 16 game weeks and the usual clean slate because I mean, you know, a five or six week break is what we, you know, we get a wee bit more maybe during the summer. And we always say, you know, give every player a clean slate, start from scratch. But I do think it's different because, you know, there hasn't been a transfer window, not too many managerial changes and stuff like that. And a lot of the players, obviously, who weren't at the World Cup were still, you know, doing a bit of training with the same coaches and all that kind of stuff. So you would like to think things won't change too much. And I do think it's sensible to use the information that we have to guide us uh, somewhat. But I think the closer we get to deadline, I might, I might find myself taking a little bit of weight off the first 16 game weeks and trying to have that part of my brain mm. but there is a fresh start here for a lot of players you know someone like Trent Alexander-Arnold kind of came into my thinking today for the first time I hadn't really looked at him for the last couple of days and I'm just thinking you know the pedigree of him as an FPL asset over the last few seasons uh, Liverpool should improve you know they can't really be much worse defensively um, you know we just a player like that I'm kind of thinking outside the box a wee bit for some picks because I'm 1 million overall rank so you know, I'm also struggling with, you know, do I play it safe? Do I be a bit more aggressive? Which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about more later as well. But yeah, it's I think it's really tricky. And I think different managers will do different things with the first 16 game weeks of information. Some will put a lot of weight on it and just rely on it heavily. Whereas others might be a bit more open to the fresh start and which might, you know, influence a few more outside of the box picks. So it's it's something I need to chew on myself for a few more days at least. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's one of those things where casting around for some kind of evidence to help guide us on what may happen when you've got games and then a break, then games. The only thing that kind of came to me was that Project Restart, um, thanks to Andy at FPL Data for pulling the info for me here. I had a little bit of a look um, at Project Restart data pre and post just to see if there's anything we can really kind of break out from that um it's a potential point of comparison of course um it's not perfect there's different universes different contexts i get that it's not something we we're trying to paint as a legal precedent 
But it's just, I thought it was interesting to look at the data from that season, I think it's 2019 20, just to see if there's any, any evidence to glean or anything that we can kind of try to pull from that to see if it can help guide thinking. So I looked through the data and I found a few things. One thing I did find was that on average, players scored more points every week post restart than pre. But arguably, motivations were a bit different then because things like relegation in, was in the balance. So Mikel Antonio is a great example of that. He scored 45 points in 29 games pre-restart and then went on to score 63 points in nine games post, including obviously the memorable four goals against Norwich. Um, so there's a bit of a different qualitative factor there. And there was also um, a few different things that went on as well. So the transfer window, um, a few of the players were bedding in. And one man in particular, Bruno Fernandes, uh, stole the show. So he joined Man United just before Project Restart. I think he got about 20 or 30 points, but he managed 79 points in nine games after Project Restart. So he bedded in, was the second highest score in mid in that period. So I had a look at the top 20 players pre and post restart in the outfield positions to see how they fared, to see how things had changed really pre and post, just because, I mean, we look at, I say, normally the top 20 players anyway, as FPL managers, you don't really go beyond that, apart from kind of emerging differentials. Short summary per position, eight out of 20 defenders to start with them kept their places. Uh, Mark, what's the name of the, the Irish bloke who plays for Spurs? Your favourite name to pronounce, Tom? Yeah, what's his name? Matt Doherty. So he was the best defender post-project restart after being sit before. Eight out of 20, as I said, of the top 20 kept their places. Uh, same story for mids. Um, most of the mids did move around, but there were a few um, who did all right. Players like Bruno Fernandes, Anthony Martial came out of nowhere. Antonio Foden came from 149 to 8. The likes of Salah, likes of Kevin De Bruyne uh, didn't move out of the top 20. And forwards were completely illiquid. Uh, eight out of the top 10 forwards post-restart were also in the top 20 to begin with. So Danny Ings in his uh, Annus Mirabilis at uh, Southampton, he was the best striker in Project Restart. That was when he almost got 200 points. Uh, Kane was second, likes of Vardy, Rashford, then a forward and Lacazette stuck around. There were a few smaller teams players who leapt up a bit. Players times to embed like Giroud, uh, who then had joined Chelsea. Um, he finished with 40 points for project restart. And also, Che Adams went from 38 to 18th on the back of that amazing goal against Man City, I think it was, wasn't it? It scored from the halfway line. But yeah, overall summary from project restart. The top 20s per position, so 60 players, 28 out of 60 players kept their position top 20. So, yeah. I feel like we end up in the same spot we always end up at in FPL. Some of the names that did keep their positions, the likes of Kane, Salah, KDB, Trent, Robertson, are just established quality players to sustain their performance, the usual suspect. So that enduring truth about good players being good no matter what the circumstance is worth adhering to. If I was to project from this, and that's a very, very shaky projection, that's like powering a projector with a potato, I'd be advising to build your team around proven quality. Oh, what a shock. And building picks of high motivation or something or good fixtures. Oh, wait, is it game week one all over again? So yeah, basically, unfortunately, there's not very much we can tell from this except revisiting the principles that we set out on building a team uh, in the first half of the season here. Although I'm going to be driven a little bit perhaps by what the template is and effective ownership, which we'll speak about in just a bit somewhat, I can't help but look at past stats still, but you've got to take it with a bit of a pinch of salt, I suppose. But yeah, Project Restart, unfortunately, not particularly useful, basically. Lucy, I know you had a qualitative look. Was there anything you could glean from this? Well, apparently Southampton should be resurgent if I'm using that as a as a parallel. So 
there's reason for hope. Unfortunately, we don't have Danny Ings anymore, though, so perhaps not. The only thing I was going to say in terms of drawing parallels between um, that period and this period is obviously when everything shut down due to COVID, everyone had the same break. So everyone's that every club's experience broadly was quite similar in the sense that everyone had a full squad, everyone was training together. You had chance to kind of work on things. I don't think it's that surprising that players that were doing well benefited from a bit of a break and a bit of a chance to recharge. I think what's different this time is obviously, as we mentioned on the pod before um, the World Cup, every club has had a very different experience of the World Cup in terms of the number of players they've been required to let go. Um, So you've got, for example, Southampton who lost two players versus City who lost 16 players. So I think... Teams will come at it from a very different angle. And I don't yet know whether that's a positive or a negative. I don't know, actually, if to some extent having a bit of competitive football under your belt during that period is good or not. Um, But obviously, they Mm. won't have had as much time from a tactical perspective. um, And it won't have been quite so recuperating as it was in that example. So I'm kind of expecting that we'll see some changes down the bottom half of the table for those teams that weren't so affected by the World Cup, good and bad. I think we'll see reshuffles there. I think there'll probably be some players that have had a poor first half of the season that we won't want to reevaluate, but they're probably players that we can ignore for now and wait and see. So they're probably not directly relevant to what we'll talk about later. But it's probably just one thing to be aware of is that you'll probably need to start keeping tabs on players that haven't really done much before or at least I'm hoping so because I think it'll make for a more interesting game and I think probably the top half will be a bit more consistent maybe but that's just a theory so so you're saying buy Shea Adams immediately that's that's what you're saying he's that's nothing, exactly he's what I meant yeah done nothing before and now he's definitely worth buying yeah, obviously yeah, no, wait and see meant buy him now obviously <laughs> <laughs> I see no I, I think you're right there completely and a good question here from Claret FPL our friend Jamie the Claret uh, with an unprecedented slight twitch a winter world cup and lack of meaningful way to predict how it will impact players and teams should we prioritize flexibility perhaps then over a plan for the next few weeks. I mean, we're beginning to obviously get into what we'll talk about in the second half. But Mark, I mean, I, I think that that's kind of a, a, a lesson from, I remember your kind of 10, the, the things you write down at the start of the season. And that notion of flexibility, I guess, are you carrying that through and treating it like a game we won in some ways? That's probably one of the best tips I think you can give people going into game week 17 is there's lots of question marks over players. Will they continue their form? Will they pick up their form, et cetera, et cetera? We have stats that we can rely on or not, but the the one thing we can all do is have a flexible team structure. And we know, you know, those of us who've been playing FPL for a long time, it's one of the most important aspects of the game because you want to be able to adjust as quickly as you can. So that is playing into my thinking as we get closer to the deadline as well. Usually I like to pick players first, but I think it's important to think about price points. So 8 million midfielder, for example, I think could be a very important thing to have in your team. Or if you're going for a 6.5 million midfielder, a la Rashford, Martinelli, etc., maybe some cash in the bank to make things easier for a, you know, a Kulisevsky or a Madison or a Foden. There's so many Saka, you know, the list goes on with, with 8 million midfielders, as was the case in game week one. Most of us started with at least one 8 million midfielder game week one, if not two. So that probably shouldn't change. You know, I'm seeing a lot of teams now that are going maybe, you know, uh, De Bruyne or Salah as a premium, then Almiron as a cheapie, and then maybe two 6.5 million midfielders, whereas I think I'd probably end up on 
one eight million or else a cheaper six point five with a million or a million and a half in the bank. So yeah, I do think team structure is important. And touching on on Lucy's point as well about you know some teams haven't had much time to train and stuff like that, and they're not going to have much time to train during the festive period either because of the back-to-back games and the build-up of fixtures. And that that just kind of has me thinking, I'm seeing a lot of teams with three at the back, you know, three, four, three formation. I think that makes sense because I feel like goals are likely over over the Christmas period. So I think for me, I, I'm pretty set on just having three defenders and not, not necessarily three very expensive ones either. Yeah, set up in the same way. I think you know, it's definitely one of those things that, Again, feels like the start of the season, doesn't it? I wonder whether we're going to see some sort of pattern emerge when people start posting teams and thinking about things again over the next week. Where they'll start with a three-four-three, slowly migrate to four-four-two, and five at the back will show up again, and then it will go down to three-five-two, and then suddenly it'll be three-four-three again. Boxing Day morning. I'm just a bit concerned about Boxing Day morning and the state I will be in, and so I think I will have to make some moves quickly. But yeah, three-four-three definitely does look like something which is becoming more and more likely the closer we get to this. I think one thing that is in mind for me as being a little bit of a difference from Project Restart is this notion of a player's value. I mean, you've mentioned the 8 millions there, Mark, a little bit, but there are a few players who perhaps, even though the price points at the start of the season were set and you know we were able to kind of build on those, they were price. And now we've kind of had a bit of time Okay, form, in inverted commas, may be dead. The stats may not be as relevant as they were. But yes, I mean, you, you may posit that, you know, the likes of Bowen or um, uh, Madison or something is probably going to be worth eight. But wouldn't the likes of, you know, Martinelli, Rashford, etc., wouldn't their sort of level of value be worth taking a bit of a discount on that and using that money elsewhere and just being more cognizant of the fact that it's not really about price so much as the value the players represent. I think it's balancing that value, which I think is a very fair point. And I think this is an unusual season in the sense that there is value in abundance across the, across the spectrum, that regardless of where you're looking. I think you have to balance that value proposition against the fact that you also need that flexibility that Mark was talking about. So if you do go for someone like Rashford in that position, I don't think that's a problem. But I think you need to have an idea of where you're going to go with it if Rashford doesn't work out or someone else emerges. And I think that's where you're going to need to have a bit of an understanding of structure and price points, because as much as value is great, it can't trap you in. Otherwise, it kind of defeats the point of it. Um, So I think if you want to look at Rashford, for example, I think I would be keeping money in the bank. Maybe doesn't get you all the way to eight million straight away, but I think you want some idea that if your judgment of value or where we are seeing value shifts, you are able to respond to that. And that doesn't mean you you kind of discount these value players, but I think you need to have plans and ideas about how you shape that value going forward. Yeah, just while we're on the subject of price points as well, I think the issue now is we obviously they set the prices ridiculously early, probably July, early July. We're now <laughs> going into the second chunk of the season after a huge break. In an ideal world, it would have been amazing if I know it would never happen. But you know, the problem now is we've got a, an armor on whoever can get Trippier, who's cheap, who everyone's going to have, Haaland, who's unbelievable, who's in everyone's team. It would have been very, very interesting to go into the second chunk of the season. If they adjusted the prices, you know, stick Amron up to eight million, you know, drop Bowen, mm. drop Trent, wow. push push Haaland's price up, just to give us if it was if it's a proper reset, 
it would have been a very in- much more interesting, I think, game week seventeen onwards, if we had new player prices and we're all forced to other other you know we're all going to have nine, nine or ten of the same players the way things are. But again, that's that's in a dream world which will which will never happen. But yeah, that was just something that crossed my mind earlier on when you were talking about the price points. Oh, definitely, it was something called a straight line thinking in marketing. It's the idea that we need to pick a team, therefore we look at the most readily available data, which are existing scores prices what social media influencers say like you mark and kind of like me no one cares about me and then we all kind of invariably end up with the same team <laughs> it's, it's amazing really uh, so when i was talking about covid a second ago that's why it kind of came into my head because what the advertisers do back then they made covid ads to try to summarize the experience everyone has you know remember the, the banking ads oh yeah we're there for you despite the fact you can't get out anymore and every ad became the same uh, it's the same phenomenon we see in FPL. So I think it's, it's definitely interesting to hear that. And uh, are you going to be, uh, I think maybe we're kind of beginning to kind of lurch into the second part. So we'll kind of draw us to a close in a second. But I mean, are you going to be particularly mindful of the template on Twitter, Mark? I know you, you don't you don't look at it as much as you used to. Are you going to be insulating yourself or are you going to be looking at what you might think people are going to begin to be talking about? It's funny. I, I've often spoke over the years how I I hate the word template and I hate I hate what the te- everything that the template is. But I find myself mentioning the word myself in a couple of tweets this week. So I need to have a I need to have a word with, with myself. So I've <laughs> I, you know you mentioned you mentioned content creators and all that kind of stuff. And I as a content creator, that doesn't stop me from falling into the same traps as everyone else. You know, I watch the YouTube videos on FPL. I listen to lots of FPL podcasts. And when I went to kind of put my first draft together this morning. It just ended up exactly the same as every other thing you see on on social media. And, you know, part of that is, you know, cheap players, good fixtures, you know, first 16 games, et cetera. But there's definitely a huge part of that is because I've been scrolling Twitter for a couple of days now. And, you know, subconsciously, every team you see has Haaland, Darwin, Metro. And somehow, you know, my automatically, I just pick those three players when I put my first draft together. So... Something I always try and do, you know, maybe a day before the deadline or two days before the deadline is really just have a look at my latest draft and just go through player for player, 15 players. Did I pick this player because I rate this player? I think this player is going to score a lot of points. Or did I pick this player because I've seen him in every other team on Twitter? So if you do that for every single player, you'll probably find at least one or two, if not more, that are in your team because subconsciously you've seen them everywhere else. So, you know, really question that and and ask yourself, is it my pick or is it a, you know, a, a haired pick? And that will help you just kind of finalize those couple of positions. Yeah. Fighting off that XEO uh, is definitely something which uh, is an eternal struggle for all of us uh, on the social media. Right. Well, I think we're already beginning to stray into second section. So let's take a break there and then begin to get into specifics. Oh, I feel warmed up now. I feel, I feel like I'm about to go on my run. Right. Take a break there. I'm back to you in just a second. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Right, so we're back and it's time to delve in, into the specifics a bit more. Or as one of my colleagues annoyingly calls it, the Pacifics. <laughs> and and f- speak about kind of how we're going to be setting up our teams and get into players. So we've done the macro view. Let's zoom into the micro. I think the first thing to talk about a little bit is a question from FPL Failure. Uh, hopefully that won't be us. Um, but he says, you're, you're likely to cover this anyway, but what are the best areas to take upon, go against t- Twitter template on your opinions? That's probably a question that we will answer over the course of this discussion. But the first thing to mention is where we are and whether it's going to impact how we set up. And Mark, you said in the first half, you know, 
it's not gone amazingly thus far this season. Looking at how you've begun to set your team up now, are you taking more risks? I mean, you you are a bit like Lucy and like me nowadays. Now I've been cured of my madness. Um, a, a famously rather safe hands manager. Are you going to be doing anything different with how you set things up? Yeah, so the first 16 game weeks did not go to plan. Yeah, I think a lot of it was down to again, again, if not not things wrong in game week one, but a lot of things not going right from game week one. Things like double double ever pull defense, Mason Mount, all that kind of all those bad memories that are mm-hmm. in the past now. So in terms of setting up for game week 17 onwards, again, I'm when when we finished for the World Cup break, those first couple of days in the middle of November, I was saying to myself, right, when I come back, I'm gonna be super aggressive. I'm at 1 million rank. I've got nothing to lose. I'm just going to go for it. And if I finish 2 million, who cares? I can start again at overall rank number one next season. But again, I think what was always going to happen as the weeks pass by, as we get closer to game 17, I think I will just probably stick to my usual tried and trusted way of playing the game, which is a very patient approach. You know, not too many points hit, sensible captaincy decisions, sensible transfers. And Rather than try and rise through the rankings very quickly with big, massive green arrows, I'll probably just try and chip away at the rank. I think I'm just going to set myself some small targets, you know, get to 750K, get to 500K, and eventually, hopefully, get to top, you know, 100K, I think would be, you know, sal- you know, it's salvageable from where I am, and anything further on than that would be a bonus. And And I keep reminding myself there's such a long way to go. We've played 16 game weeks, but, you know, we missed a whole game week, so there's another you know, a load of points to come there. We've got the doubles, we've got the chips. So I think it's going to be the usual style of play for me when people see my team, when I post it on Twitter after the deadline, it'll, it'll be probably pretty similar to most other teams with, you know, maybe one or two, you know, slightly riskier picks, but it's just not in my, it's not in my nature. And I, I don't like to try mm. and be someone I'm not. I don't want to go out and try and be a late riser because that's not who I am. Because if I'm 1 million right now, I feel like if I go and try and be a late riser, I'll be 2 million very quickly and I'll finish the season at 3 million. So I'd rather just play the slow and steady game and just chip away at it. There's a long way to go, you know, more than half the season. And with those double game week and everything else, if we if we can navigate those well and hopefully have a bit more luck than I had in the first chunk of the season, I'm, I'm quite confident that I can salvage, you know, a respectable rank by, by May. Yeah. I mean, I think when you begin, if you've not done particularly well, there's always that sort of impulse, isn't there, to take a few more risks, try to move things around a little bit. But there's definitely kind of that tortoise ethos that you're putting forward there. You know, slow and steady wins the race. Is there a way you can just build things together and have kind of the differential not quite being, I suppose, an individual player getting you at 19 points one week, but the collective getting you those points, that kind of haul spread out over time. Yeah, and the way the way I I've, I've been trying to simplify it for myself as well as I'm kind of tinkering is, I, I watch a lot of games at the weekend, so I want to sit down and watch the games with the players that I really like, that I really rate, that I think are the best FPL picks from those teams. I don't want to be sitting down to watch a Fulham game and not have Mitrovic if I think he's one of the best value picks in the game. You know, likewise Andreas Pereira. I don't want to go go differential just for the sake of being differential. I want to I don't want to be watching games through my hands because if, you know if I I don't want to watch a Man City game and not have Cancelo because I know what that feels like. So I, again, I'm just trying to simplify it, and it comes back to my enjoyment of the game as well. I just want to focus on the you know the good picks from the good teams with the good fixtures, who are a good value, and hopefully the green arrows will just flow. 
yeah, no, certainly. And I'm not going to even ask you the question, Lucy, but nonetheless, how observant of that idea of expect to the yo are you going to be before we delve into specifics? Are you going to be quite worried about not including individual players that Almiron's been mentioned, for example? Yeah, Almiron, I'm still very torn on. Um, because I was, well, I was obviously late to his purple patch anyway. Um, and I've just got this really annoying feeling that he's not going to carry it on. But as you said, EO is now becoming such a factor now that it feels almost stupid to bet against him. Um, so that, that one's going to go all the way to the wire. But um, in terms of EO, I think there's an important differentiation to be made between Twitter EO and real game EO. I think there are, there's a trap between looking at Twitter, seeing that everyone's got Kepper, and therefore thinking that Kepper isn't a differential, isn't of any use to me. Um, because everyone's got him, why would I have him? Likewise, Darwin. Loads of people have got him on Twitter. That doesn't mean that the whole of the game has that player. So I think you can do well riding the Twitter template and still, particularly if we're lower down the ranks, still enjoy a good rise out of it. Um, I am obviously going to be quite a Twitter template. I don't, as Mark said, I don't think there's any point in overthinking things and trying to be too clever. Um, and I've never been anything other than that. So, um, yeah, I'll be boring to the end. But I I am going to be careful about picking players for the sake of EO on its own. I, I think that's a very dangerous game and it potentially locks you into players that you don't really want. Um, that's that's kind of where I am. Mm. I guess I'm kind of EO, but not blindly EO. Right. Okay. I mean, as a reborn safe vanilla manager lucy uh i think you're i'm kind of where, where did you so we've had the, we had the same team didn't we uh for those who haven't listened for very little for a, little, for a little while and um, we have the same sort of team until well pretty much the whole time didn't we it was like one two players there's the difference uh, i just wonder how close we're going to end up at the end here uh, or at least on boxing day um but yeah kind of what, what where did you have 120 130k something like that uh, down to 160k 160. um, which isn't a disaster it's no, just definitely not. really annoying because I was down at 190k at game week 7 and played my wild card got up to 40k and came back down again Um, so I think that's why I'm deflated I don't think 160k is that bad at this stage of the season I'm, I'd normally be quite happy with it but it's basically just how, it, how it's happened unfortunately we did have similar teams but yours was crucially a bit better than mine most weeks um, so it did dwindle quite badly between yes. 12 and 16. Oh, it's all coming back to me now, isn't it? Um, at the risk of sounding like a, a pop band. Um, but like it's stuff like Bowen, wasn't it? And things like that, just scoring penalties. Yeah, so I end up kind of 60K-ish. And I'll, I'll be the same as you, uh, probably EO-observant um, as it is, um, observant but not enthralled by. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's a really interesting question that's just popped into my head, actually. When it comes to this, uh, sorry, one more thing before we get into teams. I know you'll 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 want us to, and we will, we will. But I think these questions are worth mentioning, um, because we, if we are looking at, as we said earlier on, a bit of a clean slate, but with some kind of acknowledgement that uh, events have already happened, sixteen game weeks have happened. When we come into looking at what's about to happen with double game weeks, with a few players having good fixtures, is it a case mark of looking at you know fixtures, or is it long term ownership? that you're building your team around, especially because we've got another wild card to play, don't we, at an unforeseen time. 
Like you've got the what you've got the World Cup versus non World Cup players, which is something which actually doesn't really have much weight on this now, apart from like sort of things like Saliba, um, Lord, uh, Martinez at Man United. It's, there's not that many players actually that are going to be too affected by the World Cup unless you're, you're kind of dead set on having Emmy Martinez as your goalkeeper. But I mean, fixtures versus long-term ownership is a really interesting thing. Is that something that you thought about in the first drafts that you put together? Yeah, for, for me, it's always fixtures first above above all else. I, I don't know if I've always been like that, but certainly the last three, four, five years, I'm very much... First thing I do when I open the FPL page is open a fixture ticker in another tab. And that always forms a basis, you know, sort by difficulty, look at the first five or six game weeks. Yeah, and you see teams like Southampton up there and you just kind of skip by them and, and look at the the real teams that, that we're looking at. Sorry, sorry, Lucy. For me, it's always fixtures. Uh, again, a, a side note on Southampton, I, I'm always, I like to give managers time before I invest in FPL. So that's my disclaimer on, on not having any Southampton players in my, in my latest draft. They're bad. <laughs> Fixtures are fixtures are king for me. Um, and a good example of that going into game week 17 is Arsenal. I don't love the fixtures for the first, you know, four or five game weeks. And I think as soon as as soon as the World Cup started, I I didn't have an Arsenal defender probably since around game week four. And it really hurt me for a long time. I sold Saliba on the first wild card. And I, you know, I was missing about six points every game week for for all those clean sheets. And then the first thing I said to myself, as soon as game week 16 rolls around, fix that, get an Arsenal defender and just be done with it. But again, closer we get to the deadline, fixtures are king. If I don't love the fixtures, do I definitely need an Arsenal defender or could I, could that be one position where I, you know, bet against them? Maybe they don't keep as many clean sheets as others think and try and get an exciting attack and defender from elsewhere and try and try and make a gain there. So th- that is in my thoughts. Fixtures is always the kind of final thing I, I land on. It, you know, if I'm on a 50-50 pick, for example, it's, you know, who's got who's got the best fixtures? What kind of samples? Like, like how many fixtures would you be looking at in like a block? Usually I don't look too far. I, I like four. It's just out of habit. I'll always know kind of what's coming afterwards. If, if I see a team that has four really good fixtures, you know, I'll be aware that they have, you know, Man City, Liverpool, and get, you know, match five, match six, or whatever. But I always kind of have an idea of, of a long term fixture as well. But I, I just I feel like you know things change so quickly in FPL, and and I like for me, yeah, four or five fixtures is usually what I look at. If if I pull up a fixture ticker, I'm not very often looking at you know a stretch of ten games. It's it, it is usually four or five. Okay, well, with all that in mind, let's break into the teams, I suppose, and how we're going to do it now. I've actually had lots of listener questions this week, so thanks so much for those. I've read out a couple. But the first thing, obviously, to start off with in terms of where we go with positions is, is between the sticks and goal. So I think it's safe to say we're all going to keep Danny Ward. I mean, I would say we all, but anybody. And I think the majority, it's fair to say, of the engaged FPL crowd have Ward from the beginning of the season. I think he'll be most people's sort of second goalkeeper some people went to Iverson didn't they thinking that he yeah would... maybe yeah maybe, maybe. So I don't okay. want to you know any wounds out there we didn't mean to make that assumption but, apologies yeah. apologies yeah but he's a good I'm not really interested okay fine I'm just basically saying this is the second goalkeeper because about that the first goalkeeper though is interesting so uh, capital FPL obviously remembering where we started the season Lucy uh, said are you both still keen on Edison as a pick 
We also had him in our pre World Cup drafts as well, didn't we? We did, we did, and um, I I kind of think that given the fact that we've had double game week news, um, and you've got Chelsea facing a lot of very decent looking fixtures, so they've got Bournemouth, Forest, Fulham, and Palace in four of the next five, yeah. and. If he is fit, um, so our friend Colm Hayes at FPL News did a bit of a pre kind of back to school sort of thing. Um, looks for all of like what the managers have said during the World Cup, and Kepper isn't quite yet training with the first team. But I mean, if he is fit, I feel like he is the obvious pick in loads of ways, isn't he? I mean, there's no getting around it given the first five plus you know, obviously one of those. Well, it's four game weeks, five games, so. There's this, I think that's kind of if he is fit I think he's going to be in everyone's team isn't he I think so um, I think that's the key difference between what we did pre-World Cup and what we're doing now is that the doubles um, they've changed my thinking quite significantly I think Pepper if he is fit looks like he's the number one choice for Potter anyway and he is only four and a half million which makes him pretty decent value if you want to try and leverage spend elsewhere the only other thing was if he isn't fit, where we go? Because I haven't really looked at anyone else. Um, Mark, are you you kind of with Kepper, or are you looking elsewhere? It's 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 very rare that I look at the goalkeepers and and I look at two goalkeepers and I don't look at anyone else because I just think it makes too much sense not to go Kepper and Ward. I I owned Danny Ward for the first seven game weeks when he was playing like uh, Massimo Taibi, and then I sold him just before he turned into Gianluigi Buffon. So. I'm I'm interested to see what version of Danny Ward I get when I when I go back with my my tail between my legs. He he's a big part of why I'm I'm one million because I he was shocking when I had him, and he hurt me every week I didn't have him. So yeah. in terms of what I like about Kepa is obviously price. I know Chelsea's defensive numbers are not great, but we're expecting an improvement. But at four point five for a Chelsea goalkeeper, when you add in a safety net of Danny Ward, it just makes sense. Worst case scenario. Let's say Kepa loses his place again to to Mendy. We've got Ward, which buys us a bit of time if we want to replace Kepa. You can free up a bit of cash with other transfers. You can play Danny Ward in the meantime. And it just makes, again, it's a 4 million keeper and a 4.5. You mentioned Ederson earlier. I've seen a, seen a few, you know, he pops up sometimes on, on teams I see. Uh, and every time I see Ederson, I just, straight away, I just see the dollar signs, 1.5 million saving if you don't have them. And that's huge elsewhere in your squad, whether it be in particular in midfield. I think 1.5 million on Kepa over Ederson, uh, you can do an awful lot. And even just the flexibility we talked about in terms of 8 million midfielders, not having Ederson makes that a lot easier. So yeah, I think at the moment, to me, goalkeepers just looks easy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but the only kind of consideration that I have here um, due to if you do choose to build your defence slightly differently, um, so there are a couple of individuals who I would probably mention, um, is that you could look elsewhere. So if Kepper isn't fit or you, you decide you don't trust Potter's revolution, uh, Potter's magic at Chelsea, uh, maybe you could look elsewhere. So I mean, if you haven't got room at the inn, for example, for an Arsenal defender, um, say so you maybe have Robertson, Trippier and Cancelo, Maybe you could look. I mean, Mark said earlier on. This is all on, hypothetical, not the draft. All hypothetical, yeah. But I mean, someone, the great FPL general said earlier on, get an Arsenal defender, be done with it. I mean, Ramsdale could be worth looking at, maybe, because you've got an 
Arsenal defender playing every week. The, I'm pretty I, sure the great FBL general also said that he quite liked the idea of gambling against Arsenal defence. Yeah, so yeah, I know, I know, I know. I'm glad you brought up Ramsdale because it, if someone said to me, right, Mark, you're not allowed to get Kepa, where, where are you going to go? Ramsdale's the next place I would go because, like I said, they hurt me week after week and I expect Arsenal to continue to have a very strong season. And, me too. You know, I know they're lead, leading the league by five points, but I'm going to say they're going to push City all the way. I should really be saying City should be pushing Arsenal all the way, but I think we all agree City, City will come back very strong and it'll be a, a pretty close race. So, yeah, Ramsdale, what is he maybe? Is he 4.9 4. or something like that? Yeah, so again, it's not much more than Kepa, really, 0.4. So, yeah, if, if you're if you're not feeling, like you say, if you're not feeling Potter and Chelsea... Um, and if you're not, a lot of people probably won't be feeling Danny Ward either. So you could just uh, just go go Ramsdale and start him every week. So yeah, it's there. There is, and again, maybe we're falling into a trap here of just seeing Kepa Ward everywhere, and we're saying it's easy. Mm. Uh, so I think it's it is important to throw in a few other options for people as well. Think, so yeah, Ramsdale Ramsdale's a good place to go. I think. I think Ramsdale you can't really lose on as well because if you think about how highly owned Arsenal defenders will be, but if you've miscalled that Ramsdale thing, it's not going to backfire on you horribly. So. There yeah. is that positive about it as well. So, yeah, yeah you're, I'm you're not going to be you're not going to be dying off, are you? Through, uh, you know, no. uh, having Kepper over Ramsdale or vice versa. I just just wonder, you know, because it, it gives you an Arsenal defender every week. You're done with it. It's just kind of you know, you've got the second wild card to be played at a point which is to be determined. So maybe you know, if you're thinking long term, not news that there could be some sort of magical, you know, wild card thirty one. And then 32, you're bench boosting. If that scenario does rear its head, heads, I, uh, then maybe having Ramsdale for a certain period of time works well. Um, and also, you know, that there's a, an array of other picks as well, which could fit in if you're worried about coverage. So Man United as well might also come into the reckoning. So maybe you look at the Haya, the second half of the season, looking very good for United and two very, very good actually. Uh, double game weeks to come against favourable opposition, at least on paper. Crystal Palace and Leeds um, are the matches remaining to be rearranged. So another one that you can maybe think about. But yeah, I, I, I think that you know, Kepper obviously is going to be the one that most people are going to be, if you're an engaged manager, probably going to be picking up just by virtue of the first kind of five games or four game weeks you'd be looking at hoping to get hoping to get four clean sheets. But realistically you're aiming for three or four and that'll be enough to kind of get you on your way especially a 4.5 million goalkeeper absolutely fine with that it's just whether he's fit if he's not fit as Mark said I think I'll go straight to Ramsdale he's actually sat in my team at the moment for that kind of defensive Arsenal coverage but nonetheless I think that's where I'd go and in answer to the initial question from Capital FPL I'm not the Keenan Edison as a pick because I think it blocks another City attacker because I think most people will probably go with a sister defender alongside, obviously, Holland, who is uh, ubiquitous. Move on to the defence. Uh, Jeremy HK asks, what's the defensive situation? And is Robertson worth thinking about? Um, so uh, defensively, uh, to give my two pence first before I let you guys have your go, um, I think Cancelo is going nowhere for me. Trips is definitely going nowhere for me. Um, I think Cancelo is locked into Pep's system. And oddly, the centre-back situation looks like where the rotation is these days. So I'd like Laporte because I think that he's cheaper than Cancelo would enable a lot of things and lock a lot of doors. But there's no guarantees where he's concerned with lots of the kanji, stones, etc., etc., hanging around. And Ruben Diaz too. And Trips, I don't need to even justify that. So that's two. And then you've got 
few of your other picks. So Patterson, Bueno, uh, the cheap defensive picks. So Patterson, uh, Lampard, according to the FPL news piece, was looking for him to get back to how he was before his injury with Coleman aging. Bueno, 3.9. I'm not sure about that. Uh, we'll see what happens with Lopetegui and how he fits things. It's no bueno from me unless I have to. Uh, Fire him a 0.1 million. Um, but I think I think it's it's looking, you know, those, so Cancelo, Trippier, Patterson, uh, Robertson, or maybe, maybe an Arsenal defender. You know, it's, it's beginning already to look a bit locked to me. I mean, I've got Robertson in my team at the moment. He's one of those players that I've just loved throughout the course of like the last kind of six years doing this. Um, end of last season was enduring quality for me. Uh, just did very, very well. It's my best player of the second half of last season. Um, and it always picks it up uh, towards the, 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 the last kind of sprint. No World Cup. Uh, Shimakas, I think it's a bit rubbish. And uh, yeah, fourth best for bonus in the last six weeks, I was told today. I don't know. Um, what's the defence situation for you, Lucy? I mean, how are you thinking about it? Um, so I guess in that Robertson spot, um, I'm currently, although not convincingly, looking at James. Um, I think that comes with a hell of a health risk because he's only just come back from injury and their fixtures are intense. Um, so I'm not really expecting him to start every game, um, which might not be for everyone. So I think that's probably worth saying, but I think the upside with James is huge. So that's what's tempting me at the moment. The fact is he's one of the few defenders in the game that can come up with a a big uh, double digit haul. So that's where I'm at with that one. That said, I have had drafts where I've had um, a Dallow, Gabriel, someone a bit cheaper. Um, I haven't seriously looked at Robertson or Trent for that matter. Okay. I'm going to have to be convinced on Liverpool's ability to keep a clean sheet, given how bad they were before the break. So they're a bit of a, a wait and watch for me. That's where I'm at. Um, I've got Cancelo, Trippier and White are probably nailed in with a with a pattern type person. So I'm really only looking at that extra spot. So whether that's yeah. a, an expensive pick or, or a cheaper one, really. Um, yeah, same. Yeah, I think Trippier is one of the easiest picks, again, um, just... In particular, the bonus, the way he picks up bonus, even when they don't keep clean sheets, he's just a, he's designed perfectly as an FPL defender. So that's one spot. Cancelo, I've always been very loyal to him. I remember a short period last season, maybe four or five game weeks where I didn't have him and I hated watching every Manchester City game because we know what he's capable of. I know he doesn't often do it, but we know what he can do. Uh, and I just think I like the nailedness in the Man City defense as well, like you mentioned, Tom. Uh, too much rotation with the centre backs, even though there's you know people like a Kanji are tempting at five million. But yeah, Cancelo's the safe one. And then the third spot, you planted a you planted a Ramsdale seed in my head, and it started you know thoughts spinning off in my mind as what I could do instead of having a Ben White or a or a Gabriel in that third spot. In terms of Reese James, I'm not convinced. Um, again, mm. just short space of time, lots of games, and if if I end up with Kepa. I'm not keen on a double up on Chelsea because if if we are putting some stock in the you know defensive numbers from the first half of the season, they're probably around mid table, and I'm not sure I want to double up on that. So the third defender for me, if I'm reeling out a few of those, you know, if I ended up with a with a Ramsdale, for example, if I'm not keen on Reese James, that has me you know heading towards Liverpool as again someone who's at one million rank. Where can I be slightly different, and would it be the end of the world if it doesn't work out? So a Trent or a Robertson, I just find it bizarre that you know we're halfway through an FPL season and nobody talks about Trent, given how good he has been to us 
for so many seasons. You know, you're looking at between 10 and 15 assists most seasons. I think he might only have two so far. Uh, but again, it gives me a lot of pause because I think he's not a great defender. I think Van Dijk has dropped off massively. Again, I was watching him in the World Cup and I think that, you know, that injury he had has had a massive impact. You know, when I think back to watching Liverpool games and Liverpool highlights first half of the season, it's it's just Alisson bailing them out, you know, attack after attack, give up so many big chances. So it's quite hard to justify Trent because you want your clean sheets and I'm not overly confident of them. Again, if I think what I'll do later this week as well, if I do end up, you know, thinking more about taking a punt and it is a punt, on a Robertson or a Trent, I need to deep dive a bit more into the their stats from the first half of the season because Trent came to mind today just out of you know pedigree and what he's done. But uh, I know Robertson was looking good because I know I made a couple of transfers on the day of the you know the last day of this before we broke up and one of the moves I did move was bringing Robertson because he might have went up in price that night. So I was obviously thinking yep. about him six weeks ago. So maybe I need to go back to that as well. So yeah, the the third spot it's up for grabs for me and the Liverpool guys are in contention. I'm always open to Robertson. I feel like there's something about if he is in full flow, what works for him in terms of that team. Obviously, Trent has the set pieces, which is one thing. And you're obviously looking at the defensive stats, which were middle of the pack at best for Liverpool. So you've got that kind of... the. The clean sheet is always a coin toss, but with Robertson, if you do, and Trent, I mean, similar to what you said earlier about Cancelo and watching him play, if you don't own him, you always have Kissens, don't you? If you don't own, or you used to at least have Kissens, if you didn't own Trent or Robertson and watch Liverpool play. And I, I'm not too concerned really about their opening four fixtures. I know they're kind of slated as twos and threes on FPL's FDR. Um, about uh, about as dubious as a World Cup in Qatar that uh, Aston Villa away Leicester at home Bryson away uh, Brentford away sorry and Bryson away I'm just not worried about any of those fixtures really from an attacking point of view at least uh, for these guys and I think that yeah, as you said they could be a really interesting sort of differential no matter where you are and how you run it because they're not going to reach an, a high ownership a player like Reese James perhaps will but as you said there's a few kind of clear health warnings surrounding that with the fixture pile up with the fact the guy is just coming back uh, Klopp rotates a lot less than Potter and we know as well that Reese James can play that right centre back role and Potter's not going to hesitate doing that if he feels like it hits his tactical plan so I mean it just doesn't feel like it's worth it to me especially if I end up with with, with uh, Kepper in goal I think what I'm thinking as well if, if there is going to be one or two spots on my team that I'm going to use to try and make up ground it's, it's, it's I'm asking myself who are the players that can get me a 15-pointer when not many other managers own them? And it's mm. definitely Liverpool fullbacks definitely come to mind at the start because I'm not seeing them anywhere. You know, you're seeing your standard Trippier, Cancelo, Reese James, or an Arsenal defender in a back three, kept in goal. So straight away, I think there's opportunity there for us if we're brave. And and the other thing that I I don't mind if it doesn't work out because of their price points, you can go anywhere because they're, it's a bit like Salah in midfield. If it doesn't work out, you can go anywhere because they're the most expensive picks in their position. So there's always an easy out if if you feel like you need to jump off again. Because yep. I, I had I had both in game week one and I'm, I'm, the scars are pretty deep. Group think, group think. Yes, <laughs> I, I, I agree. I agree with you wholeheartedly. All right. Uh, so, yes, um, I feel like then we end up kind of in a situation where you've got probably Cancelo, probably a Trippier, probably a, a kind of a 4.0 of some sort, and then probably either a white character, like Lucy said, or I, I quite like Robertson, who's in my team at the moment. I, 
I really want to keep him. Um, or you've got um, you know, a White or a Gabriel or a Salah or Saliba. I think that most people have Saliba. I think it's still like 32% owners and ridiculous like that. Most people have owned since 4.5, haven't they? Um, and it's that kind of defense four slot, like the bench player who's on loads of people's minds. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that's definitely a way of looking at it. And Jeremy Robertson's definitely worth thinking about, uh, it seems like. Moving on to the midfield. Lots of questions about this. Uh, to pick out a few, uh, Epo Architect. Uh, Mark, you mentioned this earlier, actually. How important would you say it is to cover the 8 million price point in midfield? Because you bet best flexibility, but Salah, Marcinelli, Rashford, and Almiron looks like the, you know, the midfield that everyone's gone for. Epo Zaha asks, is it too risky to avoid an Arsenal mid? And, uh, some guy, I've never heard this guy before, FPL Harry or something, said, I'm confused on Man City. Uh, I can't fit in KDB for now with Salah. Um, I'm worried on Foden minutes. So does that mean I'm going to have two uh, Man City players? Let's take the uh, the 8 million price point for a moment um, because I think it also touched on Harry's question as well. Um, actually, it touched on, touched on all three questions about the midfield and how we kind of set it all up. Um where are you on this mark at the moment? I mean, obviously it's, it's initial thoughts and things like that, but where have you ended up with your midfield? Salah, KDB, Almiron, Rashford? Where have you? Where are you? So for me, I really like the Liverpool fixtures. So Salah is in, and again, price point helps. I like the idea of Salah first and then an easy switch to De Bruyne. If City get the confirmed double game week, I think it's is a game week 20. So Salah's in, Almiron is in just because of, not only because of price, but because he plays for one of the best attacking teams in the league. We've got to kind of readjust our thinking on Newcastle. They're a top three, top four attacking team. And if you can get one of them for 5.8 million, even if you haven't owned them all season, it feels like a no-brainer. So I've got an expensive one and a cheap one, which leaves the kind of two flexible spots there. And you could go... You know, two six point fives, or you know, if, if I don't go for a Trent or a Robertson, and I go for let's let's say I go for a Ben White or a Dallow, that gives you your cash then for your for your eight million midfielder, and I'm, and I'm quite keen to have that price point. Um, I love Madison. I think Madison is probably the best, but the issue is I think it's Newcastle and Liverpool first two games, which gives slight pause. So. I like the idea of having a placeholder for Madison. So maybe someone like a Kulisevsky who has better fixtures. There's also Foden, who I was on the wrong side of, like a lot of people were, with the three benches and oh, websites crashing no, and all that kind of stuff. No. So, yeah, we were there too. PTSD, emotional yeah, so damage. I, I'm not sure I can go back there. So th- there was a good question there about, uh, I think it was from Harry, about you know, are are we going to end up on two city assets? And I like that idea. You go Cancelo and you go Haaland up front and it leaves your... It leaves you open to decide what to do when the double game week arrives. So if you have Salah, for example, and if, if it looks like Kevin De Bruyne is the player to have, the captain to have, you just go Salah De Bruyne and easy. Let's say you start with a Kulisevsky, or a lot of people are on Mason Mount because of the double. I'm not convinced, given on, on what we've seen so far this season. But let's say you start Ooh. with a Mason Mount or a, Mason Mount or a Kulisevsky. Uh, shock, shock horror. I think Tom's going to have Mason Mount in his squad. <laughs> uh, so back to the point, if Tom starts with Mason Mount for the first couple of game weeks... And he doesn't have triple city. You can decide then to go Salah to De Bruyne, or you can go Mount to Foden if it looks like Foden minutes are going to be decent in in a double game week. So I think 
it doesn't sound like it makes sense to only have two city players, but I think it makes a lot of sense to leave yourself flexible again, going back to that flexibility of, of your squad. Yeah, in a sense, it's having two to give you the best possible three when you know a bit more about it. Um, and that's what makes me nervous at the moment because I've got Foden and I don't really like it for the exact reason that it seems to tie me into Foden. And I'm not sure I should be tied into him, given what happened before the World Cup. Um, so, yeah, that's that's the problem. So, yes, yeah, so you said you had that slot and you've got the other slot. Now, where are you standing with that one? Yeah, I got sidetracked by the 8 million mids. That's that's <laughs> that's because I'm thinking about them all day, every day these days. So I think uh, for me, I've owned, like a lot of people, Martinelli from game week one, and I'm going to find it extremely difficult to take him out. I just think value, playing for a really good attacking team. I do think Jesus will have, it will hurt Arsenal's attack, not having him there. I think he's very, very important. But again, I'm, I'm kind of weighing up in, in my head, I guess, keeping Martinelli, who I've been loyal to, and someone like a Rashford, um, and at the moment, I'm leaning towards Arsenal. Uh, I think the better team. Um, I, I think I don't think it helps me that I'm a Manchester United fan because I'm always a little bit skeptic, skeptical of kind of investing in their assets. And Rashford has looked much better, looked good in the World Cup when he was on the pitch as well. So it is great to see him back to almost his best. Certainly not there yet, but showing very good signs of hopefully getting back there. But I think there's a difference in class in my mind between Rashford and Martinelli and, and Martinelli just about comes out on top. But it's a close call because Rashford's fixtures are really nice. I think it's three really enticing fixtures. So Rashford wins on fixtures. And again, if, if fixtures are king for me, that's why it's a bit of a tug of war in my mind at the moment, keeping Martinelli or going for a you know a, a festive punt on, on Marcus Rashford. So I think it's a pretty close call. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think the, the only thing is with Martinelli is that we've got that sort of accrued value on that asset and we don't want to sell out on that investment if we're not sure that it's time to sell out and I think that that's really important and FPL Zaha who mentioned about the Arsenal midfield question is it too risky to avoid the Arsenal midfield I think there's going to be loads of people who just don't sell Martinelli because we've owned it since the start of the season um, he's now risen I think it's 0.6 0.7 something like that and you look at it and you think well uh, 0.8 and you look at it and you think well I'm not going to be selling that guy because I've got to buy him, buy him in. I've got to fund that money from somewhere. Um, and it doesn't seem worth it. I'm like, no, no, like Jesus is out. You now probably got Enketia, slates the line for Arsenal. One thing I would say, though, if you don't have an Arsenal midfielder or you didn't buy Marcelli, I know the guys that above average didn't. Uh, one of them, I think one of them didn't at least. Um, uh, Odegaard is probably worth mentioning as well if you're not able to get to Marcelli or you're buying him afresh or something like that or you want to save some money somehow. Um, because with Enketia slates to, to leave the line for Arsenal, um, Odegaard's becoming more and more to the fore when it comes to a and also um, taking chances himself. Um, I'd so seen some theorise that Odegaard might not get into quite the same positions now that he's not now he's playing off a kind of more classic striker like Nketiah rather than Jesus who's a bit more about the link-up play. I, I've, seen, I've, seen, I've seen all sorts though. I've seen also okay. that Mar- Martinelli is going to be useless apparently because Jesus is creating the space for him. I've also seen that uh, Martinelli is apparently now the false nine. I mean, it's one of those things, uh, false nine, you know what I mean? Like uh, all of these things, uh, like it's very difficult to try to figure it out. But uh, I suppose with, with Odegaard, at least, especially with ESR, he's not quite training yet, but I think he will be soon. With Odegaard, you've at least got that kind of 90 minute man sort of ethos surrounding him. Yeah. And also um, Arsenal are linked with that guy that I can't remember the name of that could take minutes off Martinelli. Uh, Mid- Midrick. Um, 
Yes, there we go. Um, I guess the only thing I was going to say on Martinelli is, as good as he's been, and I will probably keep him. I'm in definitely kind of Rash- Rashford versus Martinelli position at the moment. Um, he only has two double-digit holes to his name. He's been quite good at getting those eights and sixes. So if you did gamble against him with the I mean, not that points mean everything, because there's data as well. But from the points we've seen so far, he probably wouldn't kill you quite so badly as others might if you wanted to be a bit more risky on that pick. Um, I'm very much in the same position as Mark in the sense that I am weighing up essentially an £8 million midfielder slot and then two of three of Martinelli, Rashford and um, Almiron. Yeah. Just when we're on the Arsenal midfield as well, I mean, it just goes to show how many options there are. We haven't even mentioned Saka. I mean, I, I said Madison yep. is possibly the best 8 million midfielder, but Saka would certainly be putting his hands up and saying, excuse me, I'm the best 8 million midfielder in FPL. You know, he's I, I love Saka and I love owning him. I don't like watching Arsenal if he's not in my FPL team. So, Again, I, I'm start you know again thinking about how can I be slightly different from the field. I, I think most people are leaning towards one Arsenal midfielder now, from what I'm seeing and what I'm hearing. And again, the team that are top of the league, you could you could keep Martinelli and you could throw Saka in as your eight million midfielder for the first game week or two before you maybe go to a Madison or something like that. Or, or if Saka does just continue to be you know decent value, you might end up just holding on to him. So I was watching that above average pod as well it was great, and, and Ivan was saying it's it's very interesting. You can you can arguably have zero, one, two, or three Arsenal assets, and it's absolutely viable, which is which is very, very odd. I don't know. I mean, yes, Martinelli, only two double-digit hauls, yes. But eight returns out of 16. So it's still death by a thousand cuts. Like, it's six million. That is outrageous value. Oh, and yeah, I'm probably still going to have him. I'm yeah, just I, 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 I know you are. I mean, there's, there's, there's not even worth questioning, is it? And I think that that kind of means, really, Salah's a good short-termer, and you're probably going to end up moving to KDB for the double game week if such when it happens. So you basically you end up with a situation where you've got Marcinelli, Salah, and Andreas, who obviously Andreas can be on a team. We're not going to spend time thinking about that, probably, in your team as a lock. And then you've got Almiron as well, sat around, who is just... I know that we're all going to be looking at him thinking, is he the next kind of Danny Ings, that's Jesse Lingard, but scoring in friendlies as well. The effective ownership, the expected effective ownership is still going to be ridiculously high. Nearly 36% owned. And as Mark said earlier on, still a really good price, right? Yeah. Just brings back memories to me. You said, you know, is he going to be the next Lingard or Danny Ings? To me, he could be the next Riyad Mahrez when he was 5.5 at Leicester. And, it's, you know, it's staring us right in the face. He passes the eye test every week. Newcastle are absolutely flying. He's got, you know, players like Bruno Gamares, world-class players, providing them with chances, playing off Callum Wilson, who's a really good front man. So, yeah, I don't I don't really want to fall into the trap of not getting him. I haven't had him at all, all season. Me and when he's still so cheap, I just want to just not overthink that position and just just get him and just be done with it. So then we get locked into basically having Marcinelli, or probably Salah, or, or KDB, but probably Salah, Andreas, and Almiron. So you've got four of your defensive slots of Andreas being on the bench, so three of your playing slots already pretty much sorted. And then you're looking at the fourth, and then you're looking at Rashford, 
or someone else? Um, and I, I'm going to bring in Michael Lowe's question here. Uh, who asked, is picking Mason Mount with the restart going to go as badly as picking him for the original start? So someone who shares your uh, your beginning, Mark. Or do fixtures and double game week elevate him from vanilla to exciting? Now, um, I'm probably going to share Lucy's point of view here that um, he's not exciting, it's just interesting. But what is interesting about Mason Mount is that he's a flat track bully. Now, he's come up in a lot of conversations I've had uh, with friends as I've eased my way into it. And each friend of mine and Mark's, uh, Chris, uh, mentioned him to me. Um, but yeah, Bournemouth, Forest, Palace and uh, Fulham in four of the next five, which includes a, a double game week. Uh, I know it's not the best one in the world. Very lowish EO. These all feel like teams that he will do well against looking at his historic record. Uh, the problem is how crowded is it at the inn? Uh, we know that United have three very good opening fixtures. Uh, Nottingham Forest, Wolves away and then Bournemouth at home. But could it be worth thinking about England's bench hero, uh, Mason Mount here? I mean, for me, I, I really like that call. I feel like he and Robertson, if I'm looking at how I'm setting my team up and how the conversation is going to go, it'll only get worse when we get into the strikers. If my team is nine out of 11, totally, you know, template picks that everybody pretty much has their hands on, I'm going to need a couple of players to be that differential pick. I think that Mason Mount could well fit the bill um, for the short term. Um, and I think that I'm, I'm just interested in it because the fixtures are good. It aligns, uh, as Deepak uh, said to me earlier on today on Twitter, yeah, it's very difficult to guess when he's going to do very well. Yes, I understand that, but the fixtures are good enough and he does have a history of being a bit of a flat track bully. So for me, he over Rashford slightly at the moment is the one that I'm looking at. I'm not a Man United fan, Mark, but I'm, I kind of share that sort of slight disinterested in owning United forward assets, having spent many years watching them play and hoping my United asset does something. What do you think about Mount? Straight away, I'm, I'm I'm definitely scarred from the first few game weeks, but I think I had him the first three and he got about four points. So I put a I put a watch list together yesterday of of players that I'm interested in for game week 17. I think there's about 24 players. And I remember scrolling through the Chelsea midfield and I was just like, no, I will not add you to my watch list. It it took <laughs> it took a lot of strength because I'm looking at the fixtures and I'm thinking the fixtures are great and there's a double game week there, but he's currently not on it. And I I think it's going to stay that way for me. And and maybe you know he might come back and burn me, but I'm not too concerned about him because again, ownership, not that I think about it too much, but I, I don't think he'll be too highly owned. Um and for me, I don't I just I know he's played all I think he started every game under Potter. But that doesn't mean I trust Potter. And that's what it comes down to, really. It, mm. I want my 8 million midfielder or, or thereabouts to... I don't even want to have to think about the team sheet on Boxing Day or, or New Year's Day or whatever. And again, when I look at my watches, I just feel like when it comes to midfielders, we mentioned three or four there, they're almost locks. I, I feel like there's seven or eight midfielders that are better than Mason Mount. So for that reason... I don't think he's going to make it. But again, I wouldn't stop anyone. If you know, as a differential, again, we're talking about the Liverpool fullbacks, and I would probably put Mount in a similar category. You know, maybe like mm. a Wilfred Zaha as well in a similar category with a couple of good fixtures and stuff like that. So there is, that you know, it's boring to see the same teams and the template looks pretty pretty settled. But there is plenty of scope out there around the fringes to be to be slightly different, which is good. Yeah, I mean, we've got we've got to mention obviously uh, Rashford and um, also Bruno Fernandez, uh, Andy Martin's new pet theory 
in more detail here. And Lucy, you said uh, to me earlier on that you were re-looking at Rashford in that slot. I mean, is is it United attacking coverage and in inverted commas or representation? Like, how important from that's going to be? And is Rashford, do you think, going to feature for you? I think we have to always be mindful with Man United that um, if there's momentum behind them from FPL perspective, their ownership will surge quickly because of the way, you know, there are a lot of Man United fans out there. They tend to buy them quickly and you will see momentum gather quite quickly. So I think you need to be, even if you're not considering them from the outset, I think you need to be kind of have an open mind about how you might get them in if they were looking good in that first game um because as i said yeah i think it can swing against you quite quickly just to recap slightly on mason mount um i'm kind of between you two guys in the sense that i have considered him but i have a lot of reservations about him mainly because of how potter seems to use him so he's giving him lots of minutes which is great from an fpl perspective but he's his like his expected data is falling through the floor since Potter came in. It you look at, look at him kind of match by match non non penalty xgi. It just it looks awful. Um. So unless Potter starts using him differently, I'm I'm really concerned as to, you know, he may start, but does he get the returns that justify the mm. the investment? Um. And I think it's worth acknowledging that Mount isn't the same isn't asked to do the same thing under Potter as he was under Tushel. So mm. a once historically reliable FPL performer might not be that that reliable after all. It's all, um, leap, it's all leap of faith here, isn't it? But you kind of think, yeah. oh, has Potter magic up a plan in his Yeah, you hope you're jumping on something before it's kind of left the station and it may stay in the station for quite a long time. So... There is a definite risk to it, but I can understand how the fixtures make him interesting. And if we go back to what Mark was saying in terms of looking at blocks of fixtures and trying to target those, then Chelsea are the obvious team to target. And we don't have a lot of reliability from a minutes perspective or a starts perspective. Mount offers you a bit more of that. So I get it from that perspective. I'm not massively holding it. He's kind of a long way. He's not four or five down my shortlist on that slot. So... But yeah, going back to Man United, um, I have explored the idea of having Rashford in that slot, but keeping the money back so that if, say, a Mount looked good, you could go there, or you could go to Foden or Gudazewski or whatever. I I don't hate that idea. It's just going to take quite a lot of self-discipline to put Rashford in and leave myself that money, and I don't know if I trust myself to do it. Um, But I do think Man United could be really good in those first three fixtures but you need to think about where you might pivot because the next two are not great and you wouldn't be on them for a double or anything. So, you know, I, I rush with my thinking, but he's more likely to be a threat to Martinelli than he is to that slot. Could you go, I suppose, with Rashford? And even though it's Man City, it's Arsenal, for Man United or for Rashford kind of historically, these are the sort of bits he's sort of performed in, right? Yep. So potentially there could be a case where you're looking at him and we said we said at the very start of the season, didn't we? This guy's got the biggest discount this season for any player. 9.5 last year, slightly 6.5 this season, so a 3 million discount because you'd be sat with a 9 million asset potentially if Ten Hag does get him going. I mean, there's definitely um, a, a lot of um, positive if he does sort of kick off and the same way that I said about Mount, if you're on the train, I mean, obviously it did kind of start a little bit of a start of at the end of um, uh, before game week 16, but 
it could really be one that's worth looking at for the price. That's for sure. Yeah, I think he's certainly more viable than Bruno. Bruno, I like the idea of, but if we're talking about structural flexibility at 9.8 or wherever he is, kind of high nines, that's kind of not, it's kind of between two camps, to stuck between two stalls. So you're either going to have to release loads of money out of him and go down to an eight. And in which case, do you have a plan for where you're going to put that? And if if not, can you, you know, I don't think I'd want him instead of a KDB or a Salah. So I think he's a very difficult price point to kind of work into future plans. Same with uh, the left wing back at Chelsea, Sterling. Um, but it's, it's probably in a similar boat. <laughs> Right. Um, I think a lot of the reason for why Bruno may be a bit difficult to fit in compared to Rashford, who is three million cheaper, um, is that forward line. Um, and I think that it's becoming, as Mark mentioned earlier, more and more ensconced in how people are thinking, which is that inevitable, it feels like to me, uh, Mitrovic, Holland, and Nunez from free. Like, I, I, when I listed it on Friday, I think I like a little meme out, you know, the Buzz Lightyear one, where it's like one Buzz Lightyear and then millions of Buzz Lightyears. But I was like, oh, this is great. That's perfect. It really works. And then I thought, oh, this is amazing. It's a great idea. Got on, uh, looked on Twitter and everybody had that same front three. Uh, Mitro, Nunez, and Torland. I, I just feel like it's very difficult to argue against it almost, just because Mitro, yes, he's got four yellow cards, but the game week feels... It's, it's not too far away. Fulham were attacking very well. The setup services him. Holland obviously untouchable. Let's not go into that. And then Nunez with Jota and Diaz not coming back for a while. A new injury for Diaz. It just looks worth including as a selfish bastard, basically. Uh, the non-pen per 90 data. And if we're flapjacking shots per 90, it's just, just pure madness. So it just feels like those three are, are worth doing. The only question is, is that Emmanuel asked, you know, if money were no object, would you rather have Kane or Nunez for the restart? Well, Kane's on four yellow cards, so it's a little bit of an iffy question, isn't it, Mark? I mean, well, where are you? Was it one that you just, you mentioned it earlier. Have you thought any more about that front line or like, like me? Are you kind of thinking, yeah, this is probably going to be where I'll end up, so I'm not going to expend energy here? Yeah, again, subconsciously seeing teams for the last couple of days, it was just like auto picking. Well, Haaland's an obvious one anyway, because he's already there. Um, I think I have Ivan Tony to get rid of. So yeah, on again, I, I later this week I wanna I wanna sit down with the three forwards, sit down and have a chat with the three lads. I sit down and really think, you know, again, are these the players I really want or am I just picking them because everyone else is? And it's there's there's strong arguments for Darwin. They've got the fixtures. Like you said, the, the guys are out injured, so there's no rotation fears. Uh, I just think he's a really good player, and I think we're going to see the real Darwin um, in the second half of the season, and he's a good price. And then Mitrovic, he's done it all season so far. The yellow cards is giving me slight concern. I mean, he can what is it? He can get a yellow basically in two games, and he would that would spoil the double game week. So if he got one... 18 or 19, uh, or the first yeah. game of gaming 19. So I think there is um, something I will give some thought to. Someone like a Callum Wilson, I think, is a really good pick. And I think he should be. we should be giving him more thought. Um, you could go Wilson to begin with and then let Mitrovic get through unscathed without the yellows and then just get him for the double. 
and then maybe jump off again fairly soon afterwards. So I think that's viable. I, I see some people talking about Martial, but I, I can't really get on board with that. He's he's too injury prone for my liking. I think when you get Rash for the same for the same price, it's a it's a no brainer just to get the midfielder. You know, extra point for the clean sheet and the goal as well. Anyway, and then the other one is Harry Kane, as you mentioned, four yellows. Everyone's talking about Mitrovic's four yellows. Not too many t- people are talking about Harry Kane's four yellows. But I think the main issue with Kane is I would love to have him. You know, if there was no such thing as Haaland in the Premier League this season, Kane would be in every single draft right now. He'd be in that Haaland slot. So again, we should be giving him more thought. But the issue is we want a premium midfielder slot. We want possibly De Bruyne for the double. So Salah makes that possible. Some people will just start with De Bruyne, which I think is absolutely viable as well over Salah. So I think having two premium strikers, the last time we did that in FPL, I can't really remember. It's just because it makes it makes it a little bit more inflexible and a little bit trickier to get back to those midfielders if you have Kane and Haaland. So for that reason, I think for me, it will be a premium mid and it will be Haaland. And then Darwin, I think, will be in. But I'm, I'm going to give Mitrovic some more thought, just the idea of someone else for maybe two game weeks and then Mitrovic for the double. I posted that the other day and I had loads of people kind of going, oh, Nunez, no, the joy laughing faces and all sorts of things that were going on. But it, it just feels like one of those things where you, you can't look the gift horse in the mouth too much. I could see why if you didn't fancy Darwin for whatever reason, like for me, I've ended up with Darwin, Salah and Robertson. So I might end up with a triple Liverpool situation going on by mistake. But it, it just feels just a bit too easy. And I can see the the temptation, we've mentioned it with Kepa earlier on, to try to think around it. But I, I can't really see past it. I really struggle to do that at the moment. I mean, Lucy, is it the same for you with those three? Yeah, I think so. Um, I was actually quite high on Darwin before the World Cup. I'd already put him in a draft. Like I think he's incredible in terms of just being incredibly selfish. Wants to take loads of shots. Oh, yeah. He's like the perfect FPL pick from that perspective. And as Mark said, I think he will get better in the second half of the season. There was clearly a phase of, well, not getting sent off for a start would have been good, um, but a phase of kind of adapting to the Premier League. And I think he, we will start to see even better things from him. Um, and I think, as we said, the fixtures are good. I guess the one I've thought about the most is probably Mitrovic because of those yellow cards. Um, I think... As they mentioned on Above Average yesterday, the good thing about Mitrovic is that you've kind of got Pereira. So if you if he misses if he gets booked in that first game and misses the Southampton game, you've got Pereira at home um, at home on penalties against Southampton, which isn't such a bad idea anyway. So that kind of gives you a bit of a safety net. And my real problem is that having gone through Mitrovic and that kind of price point, I really can't sell myself convincingly on the other options. So as you Jay Adams, I definitely can't. Martial, I, I think, is a bit of a risk from a minute's perspective and probably gets injured. And the other one I had looked at was Nketia, but I'm not wild about that either. So, yeah, I think Mitrovic is probably the one, that, if there was going to be anyone in that front line that I was not sure about it, it was Mitrovic. But I just think it's just good enough to not overthink, really. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. And Funnily enough, uh, let's move on to the end and to a couple of comedy questions to round off this festive pod. Is it less wide open than it appears? I mean, maybe. I mean, we've I sent this list over to both of you earlier on. You both said to me, yeah, it probably looks about right. I mean, Kepa, if fit and Ward in goal, 
Cancelo, Trips, an Arsenal defender, or Robertson if you're me or Mark, Patterson, well, and, and then you've got kind of one spare defender, a premium mid, Salah or KDB, probably Salah, Martinelli, Almiron, there's an EO Shield, Andreas, another midfielder, be it Rashford, be it Mount, be it somebody else, and the strikers, Haaland, Nunez, Mitro, in a 3 4 3. Have we solved it? Maybe. Maybe we have, and maybe we can kind of just take the edge off uh, before Christmas. Uh, maybe some Carling Cup stuff will go on, but I very, very much doubt it. But yeah, it's really interesting to see that even for a, a very, very short um, conversation this evening, uh, is that kind of a straight line thinking as it really sort of kicks in, or at least you're kind of just, just FPL managers who are engaged with it, look at it and kind of immediately diagnose what we need to do and how we need to set up our team. When are you guys going to make your changes, by the way, before we move on to a couple of the festive questions? Is it going to be something you do kind of a bit earlier? Is it going to be uh, 11 a.m. Boxing Day? Is it going to be kind of half cut Christmas afternoon? I mean, uh, Mark, wh when are you going to do your changes? I try not to be online or I try not to be on the FPL website on the morning of a deadline. So I like to lock the moves in the night before, ideally, which is usually yeah. a Friday night going into a Saturday morning. So I don't, I don't usually go too too crazy with a with a booze on Christmas Day. Um, I'll, I'll try and hold off until Boxing Day for that. Once once decisions are made, so I think it'll be a case of um, stuff myself during the day, have a few drinks, watch a couple of Christmas movies, and then when it gets to maybe ten, eleven o'clock Christmas night is when I'll probably log in. Where once once my wife falls asleep, that's usually when the the Boxing Day tinkering begins, and I, and I I end up staying up till about two in the morning trying to decide on the on the final team. So yeah, I will try and lock it in Christmas night and then avoid logging into the FPL website if possible on Boxing Day morning. Yep. No one in Brentford or Spurs for me as well. So it would be ignorance is bliss. What about you, Lissy? Um, well, we're at my parents this Christmas instead of Tom's parents, and that always means other Tom, not not this Tom. I just like yeah, not me, not me, not not that Tom. Um, so yeah, we have to keep clarifying that one. Hopefully, regular listeners will recognise that that's not the same person. Um, but it does mean that I it will be a rather more sedate Christmas. So I expect I'll have quite a lot of time on Christmas afternoon to look at it. Um, but much like yeah. Mark, I think it's good advice to lock it in as much as you can the day before because you will be otherwise find yourself making horrible gut decisions that you come to regret. Yeah, it's been, I think. Ben, I'm I'm doing all the kicking this year, as I do every year, but for uh, Mother Half's family, um, which is going to be uh, quite busy. And then you've got nephew, my, my nephews. I'll be probably nephew sitting playing the Wii, uh, the Wii session the switch with them. Um, so I I kind of want to get everything done probably on twenty third on Friday. I want to just kind of finalize everything and, and then That's kind too of early. be free. That really. can go wrong. Um, I mean, yeah, maybe, but also you know, it's just one of those things. You're uh, gonna have well, your nephew. Your nephews are gonna be drawing up spreadsheets for you on Christmas evening. No, it's not interested in football. Neither of them. <laughs> but it's, it's not. It's, it's my you know, other half's you know, sisters' nephews. It's, it's not my bloodline. It's fine. It's fine. I, I I can let them not be interested in football. I mean, I think they're both Charlton fans or something because of their dad. But I mean, even then, that that's basically not interested in football, isn't it? So there you go. But right. it's certainly meant when you turn off an interest in football wouldn't it so yes exactly there's exactly. a Southampton fan obviously ironically they're called the addicts but hey right okay um a couple of festive questions for you both then um a friend of the pod hindu monkey um who you may or may not know lucy um has yeah. asked if darwin nunez was a festive drink what would he be 
Let's start with you, Lucy. Um, I had him as the Bucks fizz to Salah's champagne. Um, he's good value and everyone will have had one by 11am on Boxing Day. But that might just be my house. How about you, Mark? I really uh, I really should have read some of these questions beforehand. What a question that is. <laughs> I've literally just Googled Christmas drinks to, to come up with a list to try and put on Darwin. So I'm going to say I'm going to say he's the mulled wine. To me, I always I always start with the mulled wine in the in the afternoon or, or sometimes even in the morning, Christmas Day. Just your your nice chilled one before before things you know go crazy. So I feel like Darwin so far in the Premier League, it's been pretty pretty calm so far, but I'm expecting big things in terms of goals. So he, he's my mulled wine. Well, you got you got to start with a box fizz on Christmas morning. That's that's that's, uh, that's uh, you know the yeah. law, isn't it? I mean, starting with a bowl of wine. Be the law. Yeah. Wrong with must you? be uh, must be an Irish thing. Don't think well, like I've ever I, even had a box a box fizz. I don't even know what a box fizz is. My my mouth is a gate at the moment. A gate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd just chosen something really ubiqu- ubiquitous yeah. there, but apparently not. Ridiculous. Yeah. So, for me, I think Darwin Nunez had to be a shot, didn't he? Because he takes a lot of shots. Hey, <laughs> but it has to be a shot which didn't hit its target. And I was thinking that he would be something like Tia Maria, a sort of thing you have in your drink selection that you never touch except on Christmas when you run out of Baileys and you think, all right, what's close? All right, Tia Maria. I've, got, I've literally got one out there, which is like half empty, but I don't, can't remember drinking it. Neither of us remember drinking it. So you take the Tia Maria. It just tastes like, Ugh, you know, it's not what you wanted, but everybody's had a bit. For some people, you know, it's okay. Me a lot of hope but, as a Darwin yeah, owner. I, I own Darwin, like kind of as the first 13 pointer. He takes a lot of shots. And for some people, it's not going to work. For a lot of people, it is going to work. And I think that that's that's kind of where it is with Darwin. It's the lottery, it's the shot lottery. And um, also, maybe Sambuca or something like that would also kind of fit into that. Or Petron would be another one that maybe would be. But he had to be a shot, didn't he, for Darwin? And the, the final question this week, Epil Hannah. If Premier League managers, Mark, do the secret Santa, who would you want the gift from? Oh, again, really should have prepared for this one. Who would I want to gift from? Which manager? Uh, go, to, go to Lucy first and, and come back to me on that one. Go then. I went for Eric Ten Hag on the basis that anyone who manages Manchester United in this day and age can't take himself too seriously. So I'm sure he'd have a fun present up his sleeve. And I'm sure that after the departure of Cristiano Ronaldo, he'd be in generous spirits. <laughs> I'll let you think a bit longer, Mark. I mean, the only one that came to mind for me, oddly, was Frank Lampard. I feel I like... thought Frank would give you two presents. I just feel like with his, as with his transfer policy, he'd not know what to get. So he'd spend loads of money and buy me something expensive, which doesn't do the job. But equally, I can then sell it on. I thought the... Frank would potentially give you a joke present and then say, no, but seriously, and then give you, give you a good one. I thought that would be how he'd play it. Yeah, as long as they didn't buy me Deli Alley, I'd be very happy. The one you wouldn't want to get would be Brendan Rogers because it would just be a signed self-portrait, wouldn't it? And no one wants that. Straight in the bin. But yeah, maybe Frank Lampard just because he'll either buy you two presents or buy you something really expensive they hadn't really thought through. Right, Mark, you've had time to think. It's funny you mentioned Brendan Rogers because I was going to I was going to say that because it would be a, a Gucci belt, wasn't it? Wasn't it? He said he oh, it'd be a sign... comment about a Gucci belt, wasn't it? But, but the man the man's got a sign so a sign like a self portrait up in his living room. I think that's what you get. You get a selfie with best wishes, love Brendan as your Christmas yeah. present. No, no one wants that. 
I'm going to say I'm going to say David Moyes because I think I would just love to see what he would get me because he's absolutely miserable all the time when he does a press <laughs> conference after every game. He's moaning and groaning. They, they, they could have won 4-1 and he's moaning. So he's I think it would be just a really interesting. I think it would be an absolutely terrible gift. So I would just I'm be not interested sure he's going to buy in at gets. all. I reckon yeah. he just says Secret Santa. What's the point of that? Not doing that. A, a, lump, yeah. of, a lump of coal or a, a Satsuma, maybe if you're lucky, if he's feeling charitable. Right. Well, I think that's your lot. Hopefully that was useful. Um, a nice sort of ruse back in, a gateway pod into thinking about FPL again. Thanks very much, Mark, for coming on. Uh, always very nice to hear from you. Um, and uh, yeah, a very nice tradition every time uh, around the summer of year to have you uh, as, as, as a guest this uh, this pod. So yeah, thanks. Yeah, always a pleasure. Uh, looking forward to to num- guest appearance number seven this time next year. Uh, and I just thank, thanks for all the content this year. Really enjoyed the podcast, guys. And want to wish us both uh, a very happy Christmas. Thank you. I hope you have a lovely Christmas. We were who got the assist. You can find Tom on Twitter at WGTA underscore FBL and you can find me at Lucy Heinick with two T's. If you enjoyed listening to this, please like and subscribe to the podcast. For new listeners out there, if you think you'll be coming back, please hit that five-star rating across platforms like iTunes and Spotify so more people can enjoy the pod. Nice one. Right. Uh, Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Lucy. Let's say the next few weeks were a total mess in terms of what we're going to do when it comes to the pod. Uh, so on the 28th of December, uh, we'll do another one. Lucy can't make that one. So I'll be joined by a friend of the pod, Adam Pritchard, for what will inevitably be a pun slash lol fest. The 5th of January, uh, Lucy and me, uh, mid game week 19. Uh, so there's a bit of a gap before the second game in the double game week. Nick and Lucy will be on game week 20. So I'll be in Hong Kong then. And normal service will resume at Praise Sar. Hope this is you today on this pod. Uh, happy Christmas. And I'll be back with you before New Year. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Podcast Network.